Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Hotline. If you are obsessive compulsive, press one repeatedly. If you are codependent, ask someone to press two for you. If you have multiple personalities, press three, four, five, and six. If you are paranoid, we know what you are and what you want. Stay on the line and we'll trace your call. If you're delusional, press seven and your call will be transferred to the mothership. If you are schizophrenic, listen carefully and a small voice will tell you which number to press. If you are depressive, it doesn't matter which number you press, no Hey, yo, what up, what up, what do you say? I've got a great show this week, and of course I say that every week, and I'm always disappointed. <laughs> no, it's going to be good, man, it's a hodgepodge, I don't have anybody, no no, no guests, no special guests, but you will hear Coffee Kenny's voice here and there, and uh, just enjoy the show, man, I, I enjoy doing these, putting them together, uh, open to any suggestions, I'm open to... Uh, having you come on the show, whoever you are, uh, it's it's fun, it's f- fine and and dandy, <laughs> whatever the hell I'm trying to say, I don't know, man. Anyway, peace out. Thank you very much for listening, and remember to share. Thanks. Fuck off. He'd walk into the Somerville Diner one time. Yeah. Fucking Velcro that loose on his leg. Yeah. In the Somerville Diner, there's a circle. Yeah. He'd stand around the steps, and we're sitting in the diner waiting for him. We knew he was going to be there. And I just happened to look out the window, and there Dad put his pants down around his knees, trying to reach out his legs. His leg, <laughs> the Velcro came on down on his fucking leg. He just dropped his fucking drawers right in front of the fucking diner. <laughs> we didn't, we didn't know, what are you going to do? You got it. You get all you can do. You know? Yeah, right. And... What time is it, Kenny? No, what time is it uh, for this station? Time for some... It, what time is it for, for some... Here's some good, good old music. No, it's old-time radio. What time is it for some old-time radio? Well, there we go. <laughs> Enjoy. Mr. Brown says this recording contains a collection of classics from the American Comedy Network. <laughs> Assisted by a galaxy of stars from fabulous radio stations all over America. Yes, it's the top bits from coast to coast. So, smiles, everyone. Smiles. 
and prepare yourself for outrageous. And then the Lord said, "Let there be light." And lo, there was light from the same people who brought you the much beloved Talking Bible. Comes a new ten-volume set, brilliantly updated for the eighties. Yes, it's the Rapping Bible. There was dark everywhere. Then the man said, "Light," and the light was there. He said, "I done good. There's no doubt." On the seventh day, he just chilled out. Genesis, Genesis, beginning of that, beginning of this. Finally, the good book is bad, and his word is not Check it out. There's a town called Sodom and Gomorrah. Everybody partied like no tomorrow. God looked down, said, "Not my fault." Don't look back, or you'll turn to salt. Lot's wife took a peek, started to freak. The cow came up and licked her cheek. Take a lick, y'all, of a cheek, y'all. Imagine all the psalms, all the parables, every sacred biblical word interpreted by the finest sucker MCs of all time. Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, the rapping Bible, making his word fresh again. Nine ACN seven twenty twenty minutes past seven o'clock with Carringer and friend, Carringer and friend seventy two for a high today sixty for. Jeez, would you hold on a second? Uh, yeah, hello. Uh, Larry. Oh, boss, listen, I'm on the air here. Yeah, I, I know, I know, but this yeah. is important. Yeah. Uh, Did you see my back massage? Boss. I, uh, boss. Yeah. This one's for you. This line is for ticket holders only, please. Ticket holders All right, only. move it. Look out. Hey, I'm cutting in front hey, here. Wait a minute. Coming through. You can't do that. Yeah, who do you think you are? Yeah. Me? Yeah. yeah. I'm an obnoxious butthead. <gasps> Oh, sorry. Yes, you know them well. In fact, you encounter them hey, every day. Hey, you just parked in front of my driveway. What are you, a butthead? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, sorry. I'll just uh, back out over my lawn. We call no them problem. buttheads, but they're actually the unfortunate victims of cranial rectosis, a condition which causes people to lose all feeling for others simply because their head is jammed up their... Well, you get the picture. Excuse me, but this is a no-smoking section. So, what are you gonna do about it, cupcake? <laughs> Don't do anything. He's a terminal butthead. A public service reminder from the committee to replace lab animals with buttheads. I'm going to be interviewing the winner of the 1989 lewd talking competition. Now, I kind of wanted to warn you ahead of time here. This guy has got a potty mouth on him you wouldn't believe. But uh, fortunately for you, uh, we've devised a system here that uh, where it pretty much senses out the dirty words that he uses. I will still be able to give you kind of the flavor of what he's saying here. Well, for example, now, if he says a bad word, it's a noun, you'll hear this. <laughs> if he uses a nasty verb or an action word of sorts, uh, you'll hear something like this. And uh, should he use an adjective that's a certain no-no, uh, you'll be hearing this. As we promised on the line with us right now is the uh, the winner of the 1989 lewd talking competition, Mr. Gus Swearington of Falmouth, Massachusetts. Uh, good morning, Gus. How are you, babe? How how should I be, you? <laughs> you keep me waiting a half hour. 
Yeah, listen, we're awful sorry about this, but uh, can you tell us right now something about the lewd talking competition? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. For the third what, what? year in a row, they get together this group of flaming <laughs> and then they stick us in this hole of a gym, uh-huh. and they grade us on cursing. And you mean that's all there is to it, then? No, you <laughs> We're graded on style, expressiveness, uh-huh. and unusual combination of... Yeah, I can see that. Well, listen, how did you actually uh, then go on to win the overall competition? Simple. I told the line judge he didn't know sh- <laughs> from Shinola. Yeah, well, listen, Gus, I can see uh, that he should tie his... Hold on a second. Now, a, a person can't actually do that. I mean, how can you tie knots in it while you're riding a camel? Look, it doesn't matter. You... It's the thought that counts. Uh, yeah, well, listen, uh, thanks a lot for joining us here. Mr. Gus Swearington, uh, the winner of the 1989 Lewd Talking Man competition. Yeah, well, thank you. You're welcome. And... Well, I drive a two-ton semi, go trucking coast to coast. I like my rig, I like the road, but it's not what I love most. There's a gal I left in Fresco, a sweet young thing named Rose. And the best dang thing about her, she lets me wear her clothes. Well, I'm proud to be country transvestite. And I love to wear the girls' clothes all day. Lacy bra, a frilly blouse, a silky negligee. Now I'm still a macho tough guy, and I hope you'll understand. I was born with a big black mustache and a six-pack in my hand. But when I go out formal, I do it with a twist. I'll wear a strapless evening gown and a nosegay on my wrist. Yes, I'm proud to be country transvestite. And I love to wear the girls' clothes all day. I gloss my lips, tease my hair, and sleep in lingerie. Now I like the way I'm living. Don't judge me by my clothes. I'm an all-American he-man. I love legs, pantyhose. So don't look at me funny, or I'll punch out your lights. And the last thing you'll remember is a trucker in fishnet tights. Yes, I'm proud to be country transvestite. And I love to wear the girls' clothes all day. Painted lips, padded hips, my shaved legs on display. Yes, I'm proud to be country transvestite. And I love to wear the girls' clothes all day. Styling music, something fused. Well, it sends us on our way. Yes, I'm proud to be country transvestite. Let me get these pantyhose on here. Hope I don't get a run. You know, I hate that, I hate that. You know, when you chip your nail and that thing flakes off there, it's just terrible. You know, you got to go back home and just put your new nail polish on it. I wish they'd come up with something. You could just put it on permanent. You wouldn't have to do it every day. You know what I'm saying? <sighs> I could use a bubble bath. I really could. You're listening to WASP, Total Wasp Radio. The right kind of radio for just the right kind of people. Radio so exclusive, you can't find it on your dial unless you've been invited. You know, Fisher, I have to say something. Something really weird happened yesterday. What, Todd? It was late in the afternoon. I was taking a nap and watching Channel 7, you know, the public television. 
And I wasn't awake and I wasn't asleep. I was uh -oh. someplace in the middle. And what I remember was really strange. After 14 months at sea, Jacques Cousteau observes subtle changes in his crew's behavior. As we enter the Saragasso Sea, I noticed that Philippe has removed his wetsuit and slipped into a provocative silk teddy with matching French cut panties. I am aghast. But the entire crew of the Calypso has suddenly changed into Picaboo lingerie and push up Brazil's. Don't miss the season premiere of the underwear world of Jacques Cousteau. The sea is a strange mistress, and so is my first mate, Jean-Claude. Bonjour, mon capitaine. Uh-oh. Tonight on PBS. Now we'll sign to you, race ahead. All right, this is punk talk. Back to the phones. Hello, I hate your guts. Oh, I hate you too. What's your name? Spit. All right. I hate society. Get it up with Ed Kelly and Company on ACN. I'm going to be late for lunch today. i got to call my lady friend and let her know. She gets so irate about these things, you wouldn't believe it. Hang tough, will you? I'm sorry. Oh. The number you have dialed is not in service in this area code. I hate it when this happens. You are a moron. What? Please make a note of it. Ed Kelly. I'll tattoo that one on my forehead, honey. Dad, there are other places you can go. Save your money. Over there, son. It's a full-fledged liberal. Out the bar. Out the bar. Oh, let me get this one, Dad. All right, steady. Yes, hunting the wild, raving liberal is just one of the swell things you can do at George Bush Gardens. You want rides? Well, George Bush Gardens has them. There's the Pirates of HUD over in Scandal Land, the Civil Rights Carousel. We've got that one running backwards. And, oh, here comes my favorite. Bush Mountain, the world's only flat roller coaster. Oh, there's Danny the Clown. <laughs> I'm the vice president, you know. <laughs> what a bozo. So visit George Bush Gardens. Come wrapped in an American flag and get in for half price. George Bush Gardens, every day seems like George Bush Gardens, where every day seems like four years off Interstate 95 in Kennebunkport. Good evening, friends of the creaking door. This is your host to welcome you into the inner sanctum. Come in, come in. Ah, I always feel lighthearted in weather like this, so perhaps we ought to have a little poetry before we begin. An Arab girl named Yuhim was lied to by her husband, Menuhim. For this little trifle, she shot him with a rifle. And now she can see right 
through him. <laughs> Now, if your scalpels are sharpened and ready, we will proceed with the business of the evening. Tonight, we're going to do a little study in terror. Have you ever been alone with fear? Alone in the night and frightened? Well, here is our star, Agnes Moorhead, in the role of Linda Dixon, who will tell us a tale of terror by night. It was Friday night, and I think I was already a little nervous as I drove north into the mountains. I hadn't wanted to waste even an hour of my two-week vacation, so I'd had all my bags packed and the car waiting at the curb in front of my office building. Everything would have been all right if the fuel pump in my six-year-old car hadn't acted up. It took the mechanic almost two hours to get me going. So now I was driving through the night with 50 miles more to go, and I was tired... And nervous and irritated. And then I heard the whistle in the distance. At first I couldn't place it. And then I remembered the state prison was somewhere in the vicinity. The whistle. It meant... It meant a prisoner had escaped. I reached over and turned on the radio. Maybe they were broadcasting something about it. Motorists are warned to be on the lookout for Lee Hartley escaped from the death cell at State Prison at 9.15 p.m. Tall, dark-haired, regular features, no distinguishing marks. Hartley is a confirmed killer. He is believed to be armed. Beware of Hartley. He would rather kill than eat. He would rather Police kill than eat? And that man was loose, perhaps waiting around the next bed in the road. Hartley was helped to escape from the outside by his sweetheart, Helen Hearn, a red-headed woman just as vicious as Hartley himself. It is thought that Hartley and the Hearn woman may have separated after the escape. All motorists are warned to beware of a dark-haired man and a red-haired woman alone or together. My hand was shaking a little as I turned off the radio. I looked in the car mirror and shivered. I, too, have red hair. There was a storm coming on, and I was driving into it, and the night was black, and I felt small and lonely and frightened in the car. And then I saw them in the mirror, the headlights sweeping up behind me. A car. It had come out of nowhere. It was pulling alongside, cutting me off. I cowered behind the wheel and watched the door of that other car open. A man stepped out. Oh, and I breathed a sigh of relief. It was a state trooper. You're driving all alone, miss? Yes, officer. Sorry if I scared you. We're stopping all cars. Where are you headed for? Well, I'm going up to the lodge at Smuggler's Notch. That's near Mount Mansfield. You see, I started out late from the city, and I'm having motor trouble. Yeah, sure. Can I see your driver's license, please? Uh, My driver's license? Uh, Yes, of course. Here, I've got it somewhere in my purse. (laughs) I, I seem to be all fingers. It's that escaped prisoner, Hartley. How'd you know about him? I heard the prison whistle, and then it came over the radio about Hartley and his red-haired girlfriend. Hey, you've got red hair, too. (laughs) You don't think I'm that woman. Find that license yet? Oh, yes, I'm sure it's in here. Not so many things in this bag. Oh, here, here, I've got it. Here's my license. Thanks. Hmm. What time did you say you left the city? About five o'clock. It took you a long time to get up this far. Well, I told you I had motor trouble. Hmm, So you did. 
Okay, Miss Dixon, here's your license. Thank you. You can go ahead. Thank you. Oh, darn. There it goes again. More motor trouble. Oh, it's the same thing. The mechanic said it might happen again. Oh. Oh, oh it started. You want to get that fixed, first chance you get. Oh, it's too late. All the service stations are closed. Well, there's one that's open all night, about uh, two miles up the road. Uh, better oh. stop there. Bill Slater's place. He's Bill a good mechanic. He'll fix you up. Tell him Joe Nesbitt sent you. Thanks, I will. And listen, Miss Dixon. Yes? You be careful. Don't stop to give anyone a lift, man or woman. Oh, don't worry. I won't. In a few minutes, I saw the lights of the station. I swung into the open space in front of the pumps and stopped. There was another car... A coupe parked at the pump, but there was nobody in it. And I didn't see any attendant around either. I pressed the horn button. No one answered. Everything seemed so quiet. And suddenly ominous. I found myself shivering. I had a curious feeling that someone was watching me. I had to get away from there. Fast. Oh, the starter wouldn't work again. Oh, it won't start again. Oh, it won't start. Oh, it won't start. For a long time, I sat behind the wheel listening, listening for the sound of footsteps stealing up behind the car. But there were none. Then I could bear it no longer. I had to get out of the car. I had to see what was in that office. I opened the door of the car and stepped down on the gravel. Anybody in there? No answer. I clenched my fists and stepped inside. at my feet lay the body of a man. His mechanic's jumper was stained red. And his throat was cut. How long I stood there, I'll never know. I was petrified. Unable to move. Unable to take my eyes from the body. What's that? must have been hiding somewhere upstairs. I must get away. But how? My car won't run. That other car, the coupe. The coupe, I could jump into that, yes. Yes. Oh, if I can reach that coupe before he comes down. Anything wrong, sister? Oh, too late. Anything I can do for you, sister? Yes. Yes, it, it, it's my car. It, it won't start. I, I, I thought someone here might help me. Sorry. There doesn't seem to be anybody around. That's my coupe over there. I stopped for gas and no one came out, so I went in and looked around. But did, did you find anybody? There isn't a living soul in there. Oh. You, uh, 
You look kind of tired. No, 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 I'm all right. My name is Taylor. John Taylor. Uh, I'm Linda Dixon. Linda Dixon, hmm? Yes. Glad to know you. You traveling far tonight? I'm going to Mount Mansfield. To the largest smuggler's notch. They're, they're, they're expecting me. Well, what do you know about that? What? Mount Mansfield is the place I'm heading for, too. Isn't that a coincidence? I... I'm sure it is. And your car won't run, hmm? I'll tell you what. We'll put your baggage in my car, and I'll give you a lift to Mount Mansfield. You can send for your car in the morning. No. I'll have your bag switched in a jiffy. Please. No, I'd rather not. There you are. All switched. Now, come on. Get in here. We drove away into the night, leaving behind us the dead man in the service station. Sit, it looks as if Linda Dixon's got herself into an awful jam. And believe me, she's shaking like jelly. <laughs> now, let's see how our star Agnes Moorhead in the role of Linda Dixon is making out. All alone in the car with a strange man. But after all, she shouldn't be too scared of him. He's just a felon who needs a friend. I sat stiff and tense beside the man who called himself John Taylor. He had both hands on the wheel and he stared out through the windshield. My eyes focused on something on his right hand. It was a stain, a small stain, but it was wet and red. I couldn't take my eyes off it. What are you looking at? Oh, 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 nothing, nothing at all. I think I'll turn on the radio. Did you know there's been a jailbreak? Hartley is five foot ten. Very dark hair. Don't be fooled by his pleasant manner. He is a killer by instinct. A killer by he instinct? Is a killer by I look at the man beside and me. very dangerous. He is accompanied by Helen Hearn. Helen Hearn is a clever and dangerous woman. Five foot three, red hair, very pretty. I caught Taylor looking at me out of the corner of his eye. What are you looking at? At your hair. It's red. There was a streak of lightning, and looking out of the rain-swept window, I glimpsed a signpost. The lightning illuminated the sign, and my heart skipped a beat at what I saw. That sign we just passed. What about it? It said Barrington ahead. We're going the wrong way. We should be on the Mansfield Road, not the Barrington Road. That's funny. I must have taken the wrong turn. Well, aren't you going to turn back? Sure. Whatever you say. We'll turn right around and go back. Hello? We're in the ditch. In the ditch? Oh. Ah, uh, no good. 
She won't budge. Well, looks like we're stuck here for the night. I... I think I'd better get out and walk. Perhaps there's a house nearby. Walk? In this weather? I, I don't mind the weather. Really, I don't. You can't walk in this storm. You're staying right here until I get the car out of the ditch. I've got some tools in the trunk compartment. You stay put. I heard him open the trunk in the back. I listened for further sounds, but there was nothing. I didn't hear him moving back there. I didn't hear any tools. I had to find out what he was doing. Slowly, carefully, I got my door open. I stepped out into the rain and sneaked back toward the rear. I saw him there, not moving, in front of the open trunk compartment, bending over with a flashlight in his hand. The ray of light was focused on something curled up inside. It wasn't baggage or tools. It was a woman's body. Just then he saw me. He snapped the flashlight off, but not before I caught a glimpse of red hair. Then I, I must have fainted. When I came to, I found myself seated inside the car again. The storm was over. The night was quiet. Ah, oh, so you're awake again. I... I don't feel well. Is it because of what's in the trunk compartment? Oh, she's dead. I told you not to get out of the car. What are you going to do with me? What do you think? They say that when a person loses all hope, he subconsciously seeks refuge in sleep. That's what must have happened to me. I must have dozed, or perhaps I fainted. I don't know. But I awoke with a start at the sound of brakes. I sat up straight and saw that we had stopped in front of a small fieldstone house. Why are we stopping here? I'm out of gas. Oh. Come on. We're going in. The sign on the door said, Roger Bryce, M.D. A doctor's house. I began to feel a spark of hope. There might be a chance. I'll do the talking. Is that clear? Yes. There's the bell. Oh. He must be awake. There's a light in the parlor. How do you do? Oh, good evening. Dr. Bryce? Yes. Can I help you? I'm terribly sorry to disturb you, Doctor, but my sister and I were heading for Mansfield and we seem to have gotten lost. And we're out of gas. His sister? He was passing us off as brother and sister. Now I knew why he hadn't cut my throat as he had that service station man's. He was carrying me for protection. I was his passport through the police cordon. His sister. I'm afraid I can't be of much help to you. I'm seven miles from the nearest town, and I haven't any spare gasoline. But come in, won't you? Well, yes, thank you, we will. I wonder if I could offer you my hospitality for the night? Oh, that would be imposing. Not at all. I have two rooms that aren't being used. Well, really... Oh, come, come, I insist. I had hoped for a chance to talk to Dr. Bryce alone, just a word to warn him. But Taylor never left us alone for a minute. He insisted on coming into my room to make sure, he said, that it was comfortable enough for me. 
Then he took the doctor by the arm and went out with him. Good night, sis. And uh, sweet dreams. I was alone, free of the presence of John Taylor. I had another lease on life. I lay down on the bed, but I didn't dare close my eyes. I waited, my heart pounding to give them both a chance to retire. And I slipped off my shoes and got off the bed in my stocking feet. I stole across the room and inched my door open. Slowly, carefully, I stepped out into the corridor and turned right toward the doctor's room. What's the matter, sister? <laughs> Sleepwalking? <gasps> you... Weren't thinking of going anywhere, sister, were you? I, 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 I wanted a drink of water. A drink of water, hmm? Yes. Hmm. In case you didn't know it, there's a water pitcher on your dresser. Oh, well, I, I didn't see it. Good night, sister. I turned around and went back into my room. It was no use. I lay down on the bed. How long I lay there, I don't know. Perhaps I slept... Perhaps not, but I heard that slight creak as my door began to inch open. The blood chilled in my veins. Vaguely, I saw the outline of the hand and the knife it held. I wanted to scream, but I couldn't. Slowly, he came toward the bed. Now he stands over me. He raises the knife. <laughs> I screamed and rolled over on the bed just as the knife slashed down. I rolled off the bed and cowered in the corner. That horrible figure came around the bed after me with a knife upraised. Help! Dr. Price! Help me! Help me! While I cowered there in the corner, they fought all over the room in the dark. I had no strength to move, to think, not even to hope. All the life seemed to have gone dead in my veins. And then... Then it was over. But who... Who had won? In the dark, I strained my eyes to see. Doctor? Dr. Bryce? Is that you? <laughs> no, Linda... It isn't, Dr. Bryce. It's... It's I. John Taylor. It was John Taylor standing there at the light switch. And on the floor lay Dr. Bryce, unconscious, with a long gash in his head. I... I had to hit him with a... a water pitcher. My eyes swung back to Dr. Bryce. And I saw the knife still gripped in his right hand. That's hardly, Linda. Lee Hartley, the killer. It, it was he who came in here with the knife? Right. I was down the cellar just now. The real Dr. Bryce is down there, dead. Oh. This guy posed as Bryce when we came to the house. Oh, then, then you... You're not Hartley. <laughs> oh, what a situation. Oh. All the time you thought I was Lee Hartley and oh. I thought you were Helen Hearn. On account of your red hair. Oh, but the, but the body of that red-haired woman. That's Helen Hearn. Oh. This guy must have killed her back at the service station and stuffed her body in my trunk compartment while I was inside. Oh. 
That all happened last summer. In time, I think I'll manage to forget that night of terror. But it won't be soon. Sometimes in the night, I dream that I see that awful figure with the knife poised above my throat. And I, I wake up screaming. But then John takes me in his arms and holds me tight and tells me that everything is all right. You see, I'm Mrs. John Taylor now. Well, what do you know? A happy ending. As for Mr. Hartley, that pleasant killer, he got what he deserved. Some people never know when they're well off. He should have stayed in jail. Where they never raise your rent, where they make no charge for meals or for electric current. Mm. <laughs> you see, when you're in jail, everything is free. Except you. <laughs> friends, it's time once again to close that creaking door. Until next week at the same time when we'll be back with a little hunk of horror. <laughs> You'll be sure to listen, won't you? Until next week, then. Good night. Pleasant Sanctum has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Well, let's get uh, right to it with words to the wise. First Timothy 6. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. These are the things you ought to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Holy shit, 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 shit. I like turtles. Ha! <laughs> Gay! Yo, <clears throat> check out Anchor. That's our sponsor. And that's how I make this show. So give it a shot. See what you can do. All right? Yeah. This is Sandy Becker saying, keep cooking with Crisco. It's all vegetable. It's digestible. Once upon a time there was an engineer. Choo-choo Charlie was his name we hear. He had an engine and he sure had fun. He used good and plenty candy to make his train run. Song number 10 of The Baby's Opera by Walter Crane. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jen Broda. Puss at Court. Pussy 
Pussycat, Pussycat, where have you been? I've been to London to look at the Queen. Pussycat, Pussycat, what did you there? I caught a little mouse under the chair. End of song number 10. Recording by Jen Broda. Me starts at seven, so you get there and make coffee. Thank you. As a kid, child, boy, I went to a lot of a lot of movies. I guess I started going to movies well ever since I can remember. Back home it was the Rialto. My cousin owned it. A little juice on the side by the projection machine, you know. Come on in, kid. And um, up on the screen would come Buck Jones, and then you'd get a little horror picture. And the guy was kind of square, but hip at the same time that you'd get you know, a combination of Buck Jones and Karloff. That's kind of wild. You don't see that too often in a little town, you know, in a little town, because people, oh, look at that. <laughs> but um, I dug the horror pictures. Most normal kids my age were digging Buck Jones and Ken Maynard and Tom Mix and those guys, but I liked it when I saw the monster. <laughs> Squeezed a little kid and fell in the stream, you know. I dug it. But this is, uh, this is a regular, ordinary horror picture, and we all enjoy them, let's face it, you know, science fiction, but good down-to-earth horror picture, you know, with the lightning coming out of the sky. And um, the scene is, uh, well, it's uh, one of those rainy nights. It's always a rainy night. Nobody, you know, grave robbers come out clear nights. Um, it's always a rainy night, bolt of lightning out of the sky. And there's some poor devil in a 36 Chevy that stalled on a muddy road. And there's a flash flood up ahead, you know, and uh, the bridge is out, and he stopped. And uh, there's no motel to go to or anything, you know, a little cabin, that kind of noise. So he has to get to this rundown wet castle, which is just covered with poison ivy, you know. And that's where our warm scene opens. Pardon me, I'm Dr. Jameson. Is this Dr. Freilich's residence? <laughs> Why, good evening, Jamie. <laughs> Tell me what brings you here to Ivy Castle on a night like this. Well, as you can see, I'm, I'm just soaked to the skin. My car is stalled. Yes, I know. Don't worry about your car. You're at home with me. <laughs> oh, Brackow. Get the young doctor some warm clothes and hot tea. <laughs> I meant to ask you about that poor devil. Don't say that. He doesn't like you either. <laughs> you remember those days, Jamie? When we studied at the University of Munich and the students called me crazy because of my fantastic experiments? You don't think I'm crazy, do you, Jamie? No, no, certainly not. <laughs> Always thought you were a little unusual. Uh... Mm. 
that woman, she looks like she's dead. She is. <laughs> That's my wife, the princess. Been dead for over 50 years. Come in, my child. <laughs> she doesn't look well this evening at all. Overly tired. Might even say dead on her feet. Back out, take the princess immediately. I've told you never to let her out. <laughs> Little horny devil, take her away. <laughs> I want you to see my new laboratory. What I've been working on, Jamie. Krakow, open the door. <laughs> Observe the laboratory. Song number nine of The Baby's Opera by Walter Crane. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jen Broda. Ding Dong Bell. Song number nine, recording by Jen Broda. Song number twenty seven of the Baby's Opera by Walter Crane. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jen Broda. I had a little nut tree. I had a little nut tree, nothing would it bear, but a silver nutmeg and a golden pear. The king of Spain's daughter came to visit me, and all for the sake of my little nut tree. End of song number 27. Recording by Jen Broda. for a job. Okay. Are you having experience? Yeah, seven years. Seven years? Yeah. I work on race cars. You have inspection letters? I work on race cars. Okay. You have inspection letters? Special what? Inspection letters. You are inspection? Oh, inspection. Sure, I have all that shit, tough guy. Okay, talk to my boss. Right. Okay? Yeah. I tell him everything. You have a seven year experience. Put your boss on. I'll talk to him. Hello? Yeah. yeah may I help you? What about the job? What do you mean, what about the job? Are you applying for a job? That's right, tough guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
I work on race cars. Excuse me? I worked on race cars for 18 years. On race cars? Yes. You have New York City inspection license? Yes, I do. All right. Where are you working now? Well, right now, I just had to leave an old job because of differences with my fucking boss. Huh? I had problems with my boss. You got troubles with your boss? Right. Uh-huh. Well, I'll tell you what. You can come down and see me tomorrow. Yeah, huh? Should I bring my fucking tools? Excuse me? Should I bring my toolbox? Wait a minute. I'll tell you what. Call me tomorrow. Call you when? Excuse me? Call you when? Call me tomorrow. I don't think you can talk like that. You know, you don't have to call me and talk to me like that. All right, Lynn, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll come down with my tools tomorrow and I start work tomorrow. You gonna come down and start work tomorrow? Yes or no? I got... No, wait a minute. I gotta hire you first, guy. Well, I'm the best. You're the best? That's right. Okay. I'm serious. I know. I'll work circles around you. I'll wrap your fucking head in with a ratchet. Huh? Uh, and you don't have anybody down there that works like me. Oh, yeah? That's right. Okay. Okay? All so right. I'll see you tomorrow with my tools, fuckface. Hello? Hello. Hello. Roofing. Yeah. How you doing? Good, how are Listen, you? All right, look, I got a little problem here. I got some leaks up in the roof there. Yeah. I had some guys here yesterday, some Mexican, little Mexicans, they're up there whacking away at my roof. They tell me this, that, and the other thing. Next thing you know, it rains. I got the rain coming right down inside. I went up there, you know, they're, they're trying to show me this, that. I fired the two of the fuckers off on their fucking head. They don't know what the fuck they're doing up there. My wife's up there poking around. She's making like she knows what the fuck is up. I fired her down onto the fucking car. <laughs> now, what I need here, buddy, is I need this fucking thing done right. Tell me what you can do for me. Me. No, I'm not fucking putting you on, man. This is aggravating me now. <laughs> this shit's going on. My wife, she's up there poking around like she knows what the fuck she's doing. I kick her right up the fucking ass, threw her down onto the fucking car. <laughs> Show me what you can do now. I, need, I, I really need this. It's all along the side of the fucking house. The water's coming in like a sieve. <laughs> hey, this is a fucking joke, huh? <laughs> Come on, buddy. Help me out here. Okay, what's your name? Frank Rizzo. Spell it. R-I-Z-Z-O. R-I-Z... Z -O. Yeah, now this problem, this has been going on for years now. You know you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The rain just comes in. It's like buckets on my fucking head. It's getting out of line now. I got the fucking kids up there playing on the fucking roof. This is bullshit. Give me your address. It's 503 5th Street. 503 5th Street. All right, listen. Mm -hmm. What do you do? You go up there with the kettles, the pots, the fucking hot shit? What do you do? Talk to me. I have to come see what... All right, because you know what happens here? I got a lot of fucking problems. These little these little Mexican fuckers, they were up there with the hot shit. Mm -hmm. And they're fucking joking. They were up there slapping each other with the hot mops. I don't need this kind of shit. All right? Yeah. So I had to go up there. I threw the two fuckers right down in the yard. Split their fucking heads. Out of here. Well, who'd you hire to do that? I don't know the name of the fuckers. I thought I was going to get a little break on the price. The little bastards are up on the roof running around like fucking retards. Huh. Well... One of them come through the fucking window. He thinks he's cute. He's playing his little games. He fired his friend through my fucking window. He landed down in the living room. <laughs> I, I can't have this shit. Jiminy Christmas. All right, Bob. You help me out there. Okay. All right? I want you to come over here. You look at the fucking roof. You get your hands right in there and get your hands fucking dirty and you see what the problem is. <laughs> All right? We'll see if we can fix this shit up. Huh. Okay? Hey, I'll give you a call. All right, if I get in your way anything like that, you fire me down into the fucking yard, okay? Okay. All right. Bye. Yeah. 
counter? Yeah, how you doing? Who's in charge over there? What can I do for you, sir? Well, listen, I bought 400 square feet of kitchen ceramic tile there today. Okay. All right, now fucking half of these things are busted. Okay. All right, now I'm very angry here. What kind of tile you got, sir? Well, they were kitchen. They were like a brownish color, ceramic tile. Which brownish color? Do you have a name on it? Yeah. It's tan. It's like a tan, a sandalwood, whatever the fuck you guys call it. Now, what's the name, sir? Well, here's the problem, jerky. Half of them are broken. You understand? And I got a job to do. Sir... We, we, we can talk somewhere, uh, you know. Hey, don't give me the somewhat shit. It's always a problem with you guys. Who am I speaking to? This is Frank. Frank Rizzo. Huh? Frank Rizzo! Open your fucking ears, jackass. Hold on. Oh, cut it out, will you? Hey, thank you so much for checking out the show, man. It's, uh, it's, um, I'm trying to get better, and I'm trying to entertain you guys, and, uh, Check it out next Saturday. I'll do a trailer midweek to tell you what we're going to do. Cool. Peace out. God bless. Yay! This has been a Mark McCarrion production.